here's yeah. the thing if if churches would like i would prefer that personally i think it'd be wonderful if churches would um present multiple views and just let uh, let people know hey by the way throughout church history christians have had different beliefs or views of these different things and present them. And it's, then it's okay to say, now look, you know, uh, we believe this one is the more correct one, but just so you know, there are others, right? Yeah. And that, yeah. see, now that would be what we call education. Hmm. But when you don't do that, when you only preach one view and you preach that view as the only view, and you even ignore that there are other views, that's called indoctrination. and welcome back to the What If Project Podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 119, and it's part number five of our series, To Hell With Hell. And uh, today we're sitting down with a repeat guest, uh, my friend Keith Giles. Now, Keith wrote a book, uh, and it's called Jesus Undefeated. And I love the subtitle, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. So, Keith is about to poke some holes into some theology that many of us have been raised with. And uh, this is a fantastic book, by the way. Uh, You should go to Amazon right now and uh, pick it up. He has a whole series he calls the Jesus Un-series, like Undefeated, uh, Unbound, a whole bunch of them. He has more coming. Uh, Super great guy, lots of good insights. But in this book, he talks about multiple views of hell And he kind of lands in the place where he is. And it's just, I don't know, it just helped me understand like so much of the stuff that I was raised with and really put it into uh, a much different perspective. So go pick it up. We're in for a a good conversation here in the next uh, few minutes. But first, uh, a couple couple housekeeping things. Uh, First of all, this series is being uh, sponsored by our friends over at uh, BeADisciple.com. Uh, so here at our podcast, at the What If Project, we we don't shy away from the hard questions, right? Like we're, we're talking about hell right now. Uh, we talk about LGBTQ inclusion, uh, racial reconciliation, all the things. Uh, but we tackle the questions. And I think that's important, you know, because I think like when we have questions and when we express our questions, that's like a sign of growth. You know, it's easy to just you know, drill down into our beliefs and say, ah, this is what I believe and I'm never going to move from it. And I'm, I'm faithful to the truth and all those different kind of things. But I don't really think that's a symbol of mature faith. I think that maturity comes when we embrace questions, we explore doubts, we become comfortable with maybe that ambiguity or that not knowing. We recognize that there's more to know than we do know at this moment. And and that's why I love uh, BeDisciple.com. They're like a social hub for uh, all of your spiritual quandaries. And they're just a, a click away at BeDisciple.com. So head over there, uh, scroll through their classes. They're affordable. They're ecumenical. They're accredited. And they're all short-term, 100% uh, online. And uh, they're all taught by experts, content experts. Like they, they don't just pick random people to teach these classes, but the classes are taught by professionals Uh, in their field, and the classes take place in the company of other people. So you're safe to discuss your questions and your doubts and uh, hear a variety of different uh, perspectives. So if you have any questions about that, if that sounds good to you, uh, head over to their website, BeDisciple.com, send them an email, and then roll in their their classes. Uh, Number two, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support uh, the show financially. So if the What If Project has encouraged you, uh, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, please consider giving anywhere from $3 a month up to $20 a month. And uh, every tier gets its own rewards. That's patreon.com slash whatifproject. 
Uh, we also have a, a, a shop where you can buy some, I don't know, some merch, I guess you can call it, right? T-shirts, hoodies, fall's coming. Go get yourself a new hoodie, uh, track jackets. We have face masks over there. Now that's a Love Wins printed across the, the front. So I head over there, check that out. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. We call it the Heretic Shop because there's a whole bunch of heretical uh, goodies there for you to peruse and to purchase if you would so desire. And special music today is from my friend uh, DJ Dot. We work together at Apple. Uh, she's making great music here in the Charlotte area. Uh, she's a DJ on the side doing all sorts of great things. Uh, one of the most encouraging people that I know. So go check out her music at Apple Music, Spotify, all the places. Uh, DJ Dot. Download it, blast it from your speakers, pass it along to your friends, and tell people how much you love DJ Dot's music. So all of that to say, uh, once again, this is episode number 119. It's part five of our series, To Hell With Hell. And today we're talking to Keith Giles about the condemnation of the false doctrine of eternal torture. Let's roll the tape. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words because you know what it means to me, babe. When you got me, you got me, you got me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes hypnotize me, baby. I Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're sitting down with repeat guest Keith Giles, who was on the podcast about a year ago for our series on the Bible. And today he's joining us to chat about the topic of hell. So Keith, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. It's always good to hear your voice. Uh, Glenn, thank you so much for uh, having me back on. It's an honor to return okay. and uh, to talk about this topic. So I'm really excited. Thank you. Thank you. So Keith, you wrote a book called Jesus Undefeated, and uh, for our listeners, the subtitle is Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. So I'm super curious, uh, what has the response been like for this book? Well, you know what? It's been probably, I mean, to this point, it's probably the most popular book I've written. You know, I've got this, I've given this series of books on the Jesus Un series, and this is the fourth one in the series, and it came out in November of uh, 2019. So it's been out for, you know, geez, like over six months now and um, coming up on a year. And it still fluctuates in and out of the top 10, top 40, you know, um, on Amazon's bestseller list. So it apparently has found an audience and people are interested in this topic. Um, So I'm really excited about that. I'm really glad. And I'm getting great feedback from people that it's actually really helped them understand the topic Hmm. Um, because I did my best to go through not just the doctrine of eternal torment, but really because it, it's a much bigger discussion than that, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, it's been, um, it's been very well received. I've been super happy about it. That's good. Has it received much kickback or is it not as much kickback? Well, you know what, here's what I find interesting. Um, yes. And so yes and no. Mm. So on the one hand, yes, once in a while, um, typically on social media on Facebook or something, I'll get, mm. Um, some individuals pushing back and saying, you know, oh, this is false doctrine, you're, you're a heretic, and blah, blah, blah. But um, here's what I find fascinating, though. Um, so far, I cannot find anyone willing to debate me on this topic. Now, they want to argue on Facebook because it's much safer, right, to just right. cut and paste comments in Facebook. But I'm <laughs> saying, like, let's get online. Let's get on Zoom. Let's, I'll, get, I'll let you talk. And then I'm going to talk and we'll just, you know, if you, if this is such a, a, a slam dunk issue and, and, uh, and the Bible really does teach eternal torment, then you know what? Make a spectacle of me, shut me, shut me up, you know, mm. just prove how wrong I am. And th- what I find fascinating is I can't find anyone willing to do that. Right. <laughs> no one's actually willing to defend a doctrine that they're telling me is just an absolute 
all over the Bible, no question about it, doctrine. It doesn't really mm. make sense. So it makes me wonder, maybe they don't really, David Bentley Hart says this, by the way, that, um, that people that say that they believe eternal torment, when you really get down to it, they don't really believe it. In, mm. in other words, in their bones. Yeah. And so there's something in their subconsciousness, I think, that they say, yeah, but maybe not. Mm. And so that's good. Maybe it's good to have that doubt. Yeah, for sure. I think I saw you almost had somebody lined up a while ago to do a debate. And I, I think they, they had something come up and they backed out, but I don't think it, it obviously never got rescheduled. Yeah, it hasn't actually happened yet. Um, yeah. And see, the thing is, I'm looking for a true believer because I've had a few people, you know, sort of like other authors, like, well, I'll... I'll play the part of someone who believes right, it. Right. Like, no, no, no. I don't want that. I want the real deal. <laughs> I want someone who is who is absolutely convinced that this is in the scripture and believes it to their core. Like that that guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, you're right. I had a couple of things that were tentative and they keep getting rescheduled and um, haven't actually happened yet. So I'm hoping one day it'll happen. Yeah. So to kick off the uh, discussion, I was wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about what you were taught about hell uh, growing up. Because for me, uh, I grew up in a very conservative evangelical world. I was told that hell is this literal place of fire where people who believe the wrong things about Jesus or whatever go to suffer. And at the very worst, it's a fire pit. At the very best, it's like a place of darkness where you're separated from God. And I was told that each of them are equally terrifying. And it honestly scared the crap out of me as a kid. And so I was wondering, maybe tell us a little bit about what you were taught uh, about how growing up? Um, yeah, well, similar to you, Glenn, um, I was um, mostly, most of my early, you know, growing up in church, I was Southern Baptist and um, I was licensed and ordained Southern Baptist. And so I think like a lot of people who are raised in that environment, you're only given one option. Like I, I wasn't told that there were other ways of scripturally, you know, looking at or understanding this idea. I mean, I was mm. just told, this is the fact. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the gospel. Um, if you die apart from Christ, you will burn in hell forever. Yeah. And of course, I was given the same scriptures that we've all been given to, to quote unquote, prove that and, and justify that. And so, of course, I just, I believed it um, because yeah. I was, you know, my pastor told me and my Sunday school teacher told me, and my parents told me and everybody told me. And so it I didn't have any other reason to doubt that. Mm. And, um, and yeah, that, and you know, but of course the, the convenience of that view too is that no one who holds that view thinks that they are going to burn in hell. I mean, it's not about me. It's right. those other guys. Right. 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 And so yeah. um, I never really was concerned about that for myself, but uh, you know, it did make me wonder like, wow, if I don't, if I don't preach the gospel, if I don't share Christ with my my friends or my neighbors or my cousins or whoever, and they're going to burn in hell forever, right? So now I've got this additional guilt on my shoulders and, and yeah. fear that uh, I needed to go and, and do something. Yeah, that's the way it was for me too. It was like you, everybody around me believed it and was so certain about it. So I was like, well, I guess that must be true. And I have all these trustworthy figures in my life, especially like teachers. I went to a private Christian school and it was talked about in our Bible classes. I was talked about in chapel services. I was talked about in, you know, Sunday school times. So I was like, well, everybody seems so confident this is the way, but I'm safe because I believe all the things that told me to believe. So, you know, I'm good to go. But as I started to think more about it and I started to think about the people who weren't good to go or the people who might not be good to go, the people who didn't believe the things that I believe the way that I believe them, that started to raise some, some, some big fears in my mind. Yeah. So in your book, you talk about how um, even though most of us were raised to understand hell as this place of eternal torment, that there's actually two other ways uh, that hell has been understood throughout history. And one of them is called annihilation or conditional immortality. And the other is called universal reconciliation. So maybe if you could uh, briefly take us through uh, those two things, like what are they? And then also like, why, why in the world don't we hear more about them? Um, in church because I wasn't really aware of them until I got maybe three quarters of the way through seminary before they were put, even put on my radar. Yeah. And that's a, and that's a great point. Yeah. 
So um, well, I'll, I'll answer your why question before I get into what they are. Okay. Um, because I think, I mean, this is, a, this is to me like a red flag. It's, you know, I was just talking literally yesterday with someone about this exact thing about how, you know, all their growing up, they were just told these, this is the only way to believe. Mm. Um, and then it was later on, they were in seminary or they just started studying more, more uh, intently on their own the scriptures and they started noticing that, oh, wow, there are other ways to think about lots of things in the Bible, right? <laughs> lots of things like the end times or, uh, you, know, um, you know, who God is or, you know, or who Jesus was or, uh, you know, I don't know. There's just all kinds of different ways of looking at the scripture. Um, and so we're only given one way. And so when we say why, I think it's kind of obvious. Uh, the reason why is that it just makes it easier to get people to line up and to follow what you're trying to tell them. So here's yeah. the thing. If, if churches would like, I would prefer that personally, I think it'd be wonderful if churches would um, present multiple views and just let, uh, let people know, Hey, by the way, throughout church history, Christians have ha had different beliefs or views of these different things and present them. And it's, and then it's okay to say, now look, you know, uh, we believe this one is the more correct one, but just so you know, there are others, right? Yeah. And that, yeah. see, now that would be what we call education. Mm. But when you don't do that, when you only preach one view and you preach that view as the only view, and you even ignore that there are other views, that's called indoctrination. Yeah. And, uh, and that really is born out of fear because you're afraid people might discover that there are other views and they might challenge or they might leave mm. and go somewhere else. And so I think a lot of it, that's where it comes from. So anyway, let's, let's, let me, let's talk about those three views and then, um, or the other two views that you mentioned. So yes, it is true that um, pretty much from the very beginning, I mean, the earliest we can, we can find in church history, um, there have been three biblically based and I, in my book i point this out there are three biblically based views of hell uh, that were present in the early church one of them we all know which is eternal torment we know what mm -hmm. that is and we even know the scriptures used to support that the the other view is annihilationism and that's the view again supported by many scriptures uh the idea that people who die apart from christ will pass through the fire and be destroyed. They will just basically cease to exist. So mm -hmm. their suffering in the fire will be um, finite. It will be limited, an appropriate amount, whatever that might be, for their sins that were not atoned for, and then they will cease to exist. They'll be completely burned up and exist no more. Again, that is a biblical Christian view that the church mm -hmm. has held from nearly day one. And then the other view, the third view, is universal reconciliation, also biblically based, also based on numerous scriptures. In fact, the, I, I say this, uh, it's, I'll be honest sometimes to, <laughs> to upset people or to, to, to provoke them, but I will say, we, you know, no one speaks more about this than the Apostle Paul. If we didn't have the writings mm -hmm. of Paul, we wouldn't have universal reconciliation like nobody. Uh, but again, so it's a, it's, a, it's a biblically based, scripturally based view of universal reconciliation. But I have to explain quickly what it, what it uh, doesn't teach, because I think we assume universal reconciliation must mean everyone, good or bad, just has a straight ticket expressed to heaven. Mm. Like you die and ding, you're in heaven. Hey, there's, you know, grab some snacks in the corner. and. Right. <laughs> but that's not what it says. Universal reconciliation, what it teaches is that, in fact, it's, the, it's, even, it's even in many ways more extreme than the other two views. What mm. it teaches is that everyone passes through the fire. Um, that means Billy Graham passes through the fire. Mother Teresa passes through the fire. You and I pass through the fire. Everyone who has ever lived when they die will pass through the fire. Jesus, by the way, says that everything will be salted with fire. Yeah. Paul says that we will all pass through the fire. But, you know, if we've done good things like gold, silver, and precious stones, the fire will reveal the good. And even if, he says, we, we have nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, and everything we have is burned up in the fire, he says, yet we will be saved. Mm. He flat out says that. So mm. anyway, there's many scriptures, way, way more scriptures than that, that suggest the idea that everyone passes through the fire. So then the question, the ultimate question is on these three views, what really the question is, what is the fire? Mm. What is the nature and purpose of the fire? Is that, and again, by the way, it also is saying something about what we think about God. 
depending on which of those three views we embrace. We either believe that God is a torturer, that God is a destroyer, or that God is a loving father who heals his children. And if, and based on what you believe about God, you're actually saying kind of what you believe about the fire. Hmm. Uh, if you think God is a torturer, then the purpose of the fire is to torture you. If you think God is a destroyer, then the purpose of the fire is to destroy you. If you think God is a loving father who heals his children, then the purpose of the fire is to heal you and refine you and restore you. Hmm. Um, and that's important, I think, to recognize that it's not just a theological discussion. It really is, um, you know, not just about the doctrine, but it's saying something about what you believe about who God is and what God is like. Yeah. Now, you said that Paul talks a lot about, like, we wouldn't have this view of universal reconciliation if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. And like you said, sometimes that raises people's eyebrows a bit. But can you point out some verses off the top of your head? I don't know if you have your Bible in front of you, yeah. but if you can just point us in the direction of some of those verses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, in the book, I what I do is I take a chapter for each of those three views, and I just pretend I'm, tr- I'm trying to prove my prove that. You drill down. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's, a, there's a whole chapter where I go through a lot of these verses. So, like, First uh, Timothy 4.10, Paul says... Um, we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Hmm. That's a really odd way of saying that. First uh, Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, it says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Hmm. Um, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, um, he says... Uh, this this purpose and plan which God has set forth in Christ uh, as a plan for the fullness of time to reunite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And mm. assuming there that all things would include human beings, right? Mm. Uh, Romans 5, 18 through 19, uh, therefore, as one trespass led to con- condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Um, and let me see. Here we go. Here's one more. Colossians 1, 14. Um, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, which would include people, hmm. whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hmm. Um Here's one, you know, I want to go into this one because this one is fascinating uh, because of a translation, little glitch in most of our English translations, which I, I personally believe is not accidental. Philippians chapter two, a very familiar passage to most of us. It says that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, growing up Southern Baptist, we did quite often quote that verse. Mm. But it was always the, the sense of that verse was that some will bend their knees like Christians, right, joyfully, but yeah. unbelievers would sort of, would, through gritted teeth, would be forced to bend their knee and to sort of spit out of their mouth, you know, with clenched yeah. teeth, Jesus is Lord, right? Yeah. But, however, that verse doesn't say that. What's actually missing is the word gladly. Hmm. And go and look in the Greek, and I'm telling you, when I saw this, it blew my mind. What it actually says, this is how it should actually read, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, and every tongue would gladly confess. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So again, there's all these kind of like, again, there's 1 Corinthians 3.11 and Hebrews 12, 6-11. I'm not going to read all of them. Sure. But there's, again, there, there's lots and lots of verses that in the New Testament that seem to very strongly suggest the idea um, that, that God's intention is that none should perish, but that mm. all should be saved. Mm. And that he has not only the will and the intention, but the power to, uh, to absolutely do and accomplish uh, that great work that he has, has begun in each of us. And I should also mention, by the way, that of these three views that the early church has held, um, the majority view for about the first four or 500 years of church history, the majority view was universal reconciliation. Hmm. The minority view was eternal torment. And again, that's another shocker that's like, what? Hmm. <laughs> no one ever told me that. That's, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so again, I think all these things, if nothing else, should give you, uh, you know, some pause. You should stop and go, huh, 
I didn't know that. What am I going to do with that? So one of the questions I'm asking everybody in this series who comes on the show is like, what, what do you believe about, about hell? Obviously the book shoots down um, eternal torment, but uh, what do you Keith Giles personally believe about hell? Um, yeah, well, I'll be honest. I, uh, I think I've held all three views at some point in my life. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so certainly for, again, most of my early life growing up, I was, I mean, I not only believed it, I preached it and I believe, you know, I, I believed it to my core yep. uh, in eternal torment. And, um, uh, and then when I first started, when I first discovered, you know, some of the things we're talking about here about the fact that the early, early church always had three different views of hell. Mm. I initially, embraced annihilation because again there's plenty of scriptures that seem to support that view and as i was looking at it i thought okay you know what that makes sense and i had i had a couple of mentors in my life at the time who were they were annihilationists and um and they just made a good case you know for it and i respect them and so i was like yeah okay yeah yeah that's such um, a funny name by the way annihilationist <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm an annihilationist right um but you know what i eventually um, I was probably maybe only a year or two, but I eventually, the more I just continued to look at it and study it, and then I really started looking into what universal reconciliation was from a historical standpoint uh, and a scriptural standpoint, I really became convinced that, you know what, I do think this is who God is. Yeah. Um, and, and man, it was a, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful, uh, you know, shift. Yeah. To recognize that, wow, maybe God is better than I think he is. Mm. Maybe he, God is not finished blowing our minds with how loving he is, how, how giving he is, you know, how just uh, unbelievably amazing he is. And I, and I believe that. I really think that that is, that is what we have to look forward to, is to be even more astounded as more layers are peeled back, um, how good God really is. And I think it's just going to blow our minds. Yeah. Well, no, that's probably where I would fall these days as well. And some days I, I refer to myself almost like as a hopeful universalist, just because yeah. like whenever I have this conversation with people, especially like on Facebook, like you said, it just can, um, where people, people go to share their very strong beliefs. But a lot of times like the kickback I'll get, you know, as well, you know, all these different verses that say all these different things. And if you believe this, that means that, you know, you're taking away people's free will because, you know, eventually everybody's going to, and I'm just like, at the very least, can't we just say that we're hopeful about it? Like, shouldn't right. we all be hopeful universalists? Like, who in the world wants to see somebody be annihilated or somebody, you know, be tormented for all of eternity? Like, even the worst of the worst person, like, deep down inside, can't we be empathetic enough to at least hope that at the end of the day, everybody's going to be in God's presence for all of eternity? Right. You know, Glenn, so thank you for bringing this up because it is you know, I agree with you. The, when I'm engaged in these conversations with Christians about this topic, what's what's fascinating to me is that it seems that the only thing many of these Christians fear more than hell is the idea that there isn't an eternal torment. Like, yeah. they almost yeah. are more terrified of a God who would save everyone. Yeah. Like, why would that bother you? I don't understand why that is shocking to you. Now, again, I don't want to, because uh, I don't think everybody is in this category. Sure, but sure. Else, I'll, just say, I'll just say this about myself, because I, I know this was definitely true of myself, right? Um, you know, I was motivated at a, at a young age um, when I became a Christian. You know, it's, it is sort of that, because it's the way we get invited into the kingdom, right? It's, it's basically like, oh, hey, everybody, uh, raise your hand if you don't want to burn in hell forever. Right. Oh, I see that hand. Great. Good for you. Now just repeat this prayer after me. Ding. Okay, now you're not going to go to hell. So when that is the way we invite people into the story, that's so we have churches full of people. That's why they're there mm. is because they were told this is how you escape the flames of eternal torment. So if all of a sudden you suggest to them, well, you know what that whole eternal torment thing isn't even supported in scripture? The Old Testament never mentions it, and most of the verses that, that seem to mention it in the New Testament are, are not even about where anyone goes after they die, and you start showing them with these things. Um, it, it, see, it starts to threaten not just their view of the, you know, of, of the afterlife. Uh, it starts to even threaten their own place in the story, you know, like yeah. 
well, then why am I here? <laughs> or like, right. what, what, why, why even be a Christian if, if, if there's no eternal torment? Because like, that's how I got here. Yeah. And, and I understand that. I mean, so I can understand at least that kind of existential fear and uncertainty that it, it, it creates in some Christians when you start suggesting that the story they were told from day one might not be the, the actual story. Yeah. I was talking to Colby Martin a few, about, about a month ago, he wrote a, a book called The Shift, where he kind of talks about this transition from conservative to progressive Christianity. We were talking about, I don't know if it was hell or LGBTQ inclusion, something like that. But he said, a lot of times when you talk to more conservative Christians about these topics, um, you get a lot of kickback because the issue is not the issue. In other words, like the issue that you're talking about, hell, in their mind is bringing up a whole lot of other issues that are fueling their response to the topic that you have on the yes. table. And so, like yes. you said, like, you know, it might be if you talk about hell and how, you know, there's not really much biblical basis for eternal torment, all of a sudden that's bringing up questions. Well, what else isn't there biblical basis for that I believe in? And then that's yes. really fueling their response to, to your questions. It, it definitely triggers a fear response. Um, it, it creates a, this, this sort of, um, I mean, a huge cloud of doubt about like, well, maybe the Bible isn't saying what I think it's saying. Right. Maybe my pastor, who I love and respect, maybe he wasn't being honest with me. And, yeah. you know, like there's just all kinds of feelings um, that kind of crop up. And that's a good insight, Glenn. I think you're right. I think we, it maybe helps us when we're engaging in these conversations, hopefully to have a little more grace and compassion right. for people. In other words, like they're pushing back so hard. It feels like they're coming at it. Their, their, their pushback is so over the top and can sometimes be very hateful, um, you know, and, and, but understand like why, like why are they re reacting that way? And really it's sort of like there's such a fear there and um, an uncertainty being created that surrounds this whole, this whole topic. So yeah. it's very difficult. So let's take a quick look at one of the more uh, popular Bible passages that are used to support the idea of, eternal torture. Um, let's look at Matthew 25. I'm going to actually have a Bible in front of me with real live pages, Keith. So I'm going to try okay. not to bump my mic here, but Matthew 25, uh, 41 through 46. And for our listeners, this is where Jesus uh, talks about the uh, sheep and the goats. And it says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal punishment. Life. So whenever this passage is tossed to me, and it always is when yeah. the discussion of hell comes up, um, I always momentarily freeze because of those words, eternal destruction. So I'm wondering, how do we make sense of this passage apart from the narrative of eternal torment and separation from God? Like if we take that off the table, what exactly is going on in this story? Right. Well, this is so good, Glenn. And I'm so thankful that you brought, you, we're going to have a conversation about this first. Yeah, yeah. Because um, again, as I said, there's always been three views yep. from the beginning in early church history. All three views are using scripture to support their view. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on what I wish were true. It's like, nope, I, it I'm is. convinced. <laughs> right. whatever, whatever my view is, I'm, it's because I have it because I'm convinced the scriptures overwhelmingly support it. So yes, if I believe eternal torment, this is probably one of the strongest verses that I could go to where, look, it's Jesus himself. He's saying, right, he's giving us this picture of the judgment. He's separating people from the sheep and the goats in these mm. two groups. And to those who were, um, who, who did show love and compassion and, you know, whatever you've done to the least who've done it to me, you know, okay, for you, you have eternal blessing, eternal reward. And, um, and to those who were the goats who did not do this, the judgment is pronounced, you know, that you will go into a way into eternal punishment. Now. Um, yeah, it's probably like I want to just concede this is a really strong passage for those mm. who, who want to hold to eternal torment. However, 
Um, a lot is typically made of the, uh, of the well, people want to make a big deal about the fact that, um, that the word here for eternal uh, in the Greek, which is aeonios, that it must mean infinite, that it must mean forever, without end, etc. However, that isn't really the case. And, and again, just being very fair um, with what we see in the scripture. Um, for example, well, there, there are examples in, in the Old Testament. Uh, like, so there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament and, uh, and the Hebrew, Hebrew, sorry, Hebrew word olam uh, is translated using the Greek word aeonios. So aeonios in the Greek, olam in the Hebrew. Um, and we have multiple examples uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where uh, aeonios and olam don't mean without end. They don't mean infinity. Uh, just one example is Isaiah 32, uh, 14 and 15, where it says, uh, I'm just going to read this quickly. It says, the fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, citadel and watchtowers will become a wasteland forever, Aeonius. Hmm. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, until the spirit is poured on us from on high. Hmm. So wait a second. Is it going to be a wasteland forever, Aeonios, without end? Or will it stay that way until the spirit is poured out from on high? Which would mean that at some point it would cease to be that. Hmm. So Aeonios does not always mean, and Olam also in the, in the Hebrew, it doesn't always mean endless. And in fact, um, I mentioned this in the book, um, you know, I think there's like 300 something times in the Old Testament uh, that this word olam is used to indicate something that it would endure for a very long time, but not necessarily endless. So in at least 20 cases, uh, the word olam is used to refer to events in the past. Like, okay, well, that doesn't mean it's still going on. It's, it's something that happened in the past. Right. Um, so, uh, oh, sorry, Olam and Aeonios are quite often used just to, it's almost like a hyperbole. Mm. It's used to refer to events that will last for an extremely long time, mm. but not necessarily endless. And I got to say, by the way, I, I got to point this out, um, for example. So, you know, Francis Chan, who I love him, great guy, good, <laughs> great, great teacher. Yeah, I think he has a good heart. He's a great guy. I disagree with him on a lot of things, but I respect him. Uh, and, and Francis Chan wrote a book on this topic, right, called Erasing Hell. And what's, yep. here's what's fascinating. Uh, if you, if there's a passage, and I, I quote this in my book, there's a, there's a passage in, in the book Erasing Hell where Francis Chan, who believes in eternal torment, uh, this is what he said, quote, the debate about hell's duration is much more complex than I first assumed. Mm. While I lean heavily on the side that says it is everlasting, I am not ready to claim that with complete certainty. He says this in Erasing Hell. So let me tell you what happened. Francis Chan started researching his book on hell. He already (laughs) believed eternal torment, but he did what I just did. When he started digging down and looking at the scriptures, he suddenly had to admit, I'm less convinced uh, that hell, that this word aeonios and olam, that they mean endless. Mm -hmm. And he even had, I mean, God bless him. I, I, I respect him for admitting that in a book where he's trying to, you know, prove the idea of eternal torment, but he, at least it was honest enough to say, you know, the jury is still out. This is mm-hmm. not ironclad. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think Matthew 25 is one of those examples as well. And, and I should also say this um, on this topic where we do have scriptures that do um, talk, that, that seem to support eternal torment and they will talk about uh, the fires of hell. Again, what we need to understand or at least take a step back and, and ask is, okay, so you're going to, people will be thrown into the fires of hell, but again, what is the purpose of that fire? Right. What is the nature of that fire? Uh, so in other words, in Matthew 25, when some are sent into the fire, well, that, what is that fire going to do to them? Well, again, there's lots of scriptures that suggest what will happen in that fire is they will be restored and renewed and refined. Mm-hmm. In fact, as it says in the, in the book of Hebrews, there's a beautiful passage in Hebrews that explains the purpose of discipline. Why would a, a loving father discipline his children? Because he loves them and mm-hmm. it's for their good. And again, it doesn't, it's, not pleasing, it's not pleasant at the time. 
it's it's uh, you know it's it's uncomfortable to mm-hmm. go through discipline at the time as you're going through it. But the purpose when you come out the other side is, um, and what God's purpose is for 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 this process is to restore and renew and refine and to draw us nearer to Himself. Mm. And again, uh, I'm biased. <laughs> I have a <laughs> I have a position on this, and so I I am trying to take in all of these all of this information. And it's mm. I I would say um, we have a lot of support for the idea in Scripture that that God's purpose for um, discipline or correction uh, is almost, all, I mean, as far as I can tell in scripture is always to correct and restore. It's not just simply, um, you know, he's, he's not a destroyer. One of the things too that um, this came up in this passage for me, I was having a conversation with somebody um, about, about hell and they were referencing this passage and they were, you know, saying that, um, you know, hell is this place that exists for, you know, like we were taught that people who don't believe, in Jesus, you know, that's where you go and you spend eternity. And this passage was like the primary one that they were using. Like you said, this is like the go-to, ver- the go-to story. Um, but one of the things that I brought up in our conversation, I don't know if uh, this is something that you've, you've seen as well, but um, the person was saying, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. And this is the passage. I'm like, well, it doesn't really say that. Like, yeah, you can maybe use it to build your case about hell and eternal torment. Okay. But really Jesus says that the people who end up in that place are the people who don't help the hungry, people who don't help thirsty, people who don't clothe the people who have no clothes, who don't take care of the oppressed. So really, he's not talking about, you know, believing the right things in order to end up in the right place. He's talking about the way that you live your life yes. on this earth. And all of a sudden, the person didn't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. And so, you know, yeah, that's, great. that's a great point, Glenn, right? because what's, what's actually the, like we stop focusing on the word eternal in that passage and like you did let's focus on what's happening so yeah. when jesus says to those you know um hey you did this beautiful thing you cared for the poor you visited the the uh, the lonely you you visited those in prison you did all these wonderful things and their reaction is when, right. when do we do they're oblivious like what <laughs> they, they didn't do it because they they thought they were doing something for jesus Mm. Right. The, the emphasis is that they were they, they were clueless about what, what was happening. And that's a great point. See, we always we read into that passage. All the Christians are on one side and all the non-Christians on the other side. But that is not what he says. And yeah. so there's a really great possibility in Matthew 25. There's a whole bunch of people that would not call themselves Christians on the on the side of, hey, by the way, you did all these beautiful things. And when you did it, you did it for me. And, there, and you, I did. Hmm. I had no idea. And people on the other side that are like, maybe there's some of them who are, th- who are Christians right. who are like, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, again, they're also oblivious that that's kind of what the point was, that that was what they were supposed to be involved in. Yeah. So yeah, that, that actually to me is that's the bigger point in Matthew 25. Mm. I love like pumping the brakes on verses that we've always read in one way. And then when you start to like really slow it down, really think about like what's going on. Sometimes like really amazing things come to light. And I think that's, that's one of those passages for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So last question, um, what is the point of Jesus's death and resurrection, the gospel, the great commission, all the things, basically the whole story of Jesus, like if it's not to save people from this eternal torment, because I went to college and seminary at a uh, Christian missionary Alliance school. And so like missions and evangelism, they were things like I've heard about since I was 18 years old, like every class, every lecture, every chapel service and, and hell and eternal separation from God, although they weren't like maybe always talked about, it was definitely somewhere at the foundation as to why these things are important and why Jesus's death was necessary. So like if we pull eternal torment out from the bottom of the, the Jenga tower, like what do we do with the pieces up top? Like what do we do with the story of Jesus and his death, his resurrection? Like why do these things matter if eternal torment's not a thing? Right. And again, that is probably one of the a big question, <laughs> the big questions for people that have, as you said, sort of built their Jenga tower uh, on that first piece, that first foundational piece of, well, it's all about getting out of getting out of hell. Um, so I understand the question, but, you know, gosh, in many ways, when I hear when people genuinely ask that question, I don't mean just like in a debate, but like if I'm talking to a to a, just another person another, you know, another believer. And then mm. they're really wrestling with this and they say, well, then why become a Christian? I, and my heart breaks sometimes because I just want to say, do you know Jesus? Mm. Like, what do you mean? What's the point if there's no hell? Like, yeah. because Jesus is awesome because his love is better than life that, 
you know, he has the words of life because you have tasted and seen how good he is and how much better. Like you can't imagine your life without Jesus. Jesus is the point of, yeah. of everything. Like, of course, that's why somebody should, you know, know Jesus and walk with Jesus and follow Jesus because he's awesome. And then yeah. he's right. And he understands the mysteries of life. And he's right about what's wrong with the world. And he's right about uh, how to how to overcome it and and being you know abiding in him and him abiding in you is just you know uh, it's joy everlasting it's love yeah. everlasting it's mm. because he loves us and we love him so again I mean I understand it on one level because that's the story we were told and it's yep. sort of like well now you're you've changed the story on me and I don't know where to begin but I would say. Yeah, again, go back. It's it's about Jesus. Uh, Brad, Brad Jerzak, who I love, he also, by the way, has a great book um, on this topic, which really helped me early on too, uh, called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. And it's yeah. a phenomenal book. Um, and I don't think, I, I quote him in my book, and I'm not, I don't think, but I don't think it's from his book. Um, I think it's just a, a post he had made. But he, he, he addressed this question this way. He says, if your only reason for being a Christian is to avoid hell, I wonder if you have ever encountered the love of our precious Savior. Yeah. Have you met him? We follow Jesus because he loves us and we love him. Mm. We give ourselves to Jesus because he is Lord, because he purchased us with his own blood, and because our salvation is his reward as much as it is ours. Mm. If our only reason for being a Christian is to avoid hell, we may already be there. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that to me is a... I think the question, if it, if it is a genuine question in your heart, I, I would invite you to go back and rediscover how amazing Jesus is and reconnect with him in a way that is true and real and that you can really experience the presence of Christ in your everyday life. Because to me, that is where meaning is. That's where purpose is. The, it's yeah. not about, but again, like I said, for the longest time, I, I thought that was the purpose, you know, yeah. and then having, having that shift in many ways, what it does, what it has done for me to, to make this shift is, um, allowed me, first of all, so much like, ah, it's like this load lifted off my shoulders now. Like, ah, okay. Um, I don't have to, I don't have to be in fear. I don't have to be in fear for other people. God loves people way more than I could ever love them. He's yeah. good. Yeah. His intention is he is going to draw everyone to himself. In fact, it says in like, the way Jesus says it in the Gospel of John is, I will drag all humanity <laughs> to myself. Um, he will do it. He's going mm -hmm. to do that. And mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about that. And so all of a sudden, I also, I look at God differently. I relate to other human beings differently. I don't see people as Christian or non-Christian. Like when mm -hmm. someone, if someone says, you know, oh, a good friend died or my, one of my parents died or someone died, my first thought is, isn't, oh, did they pray the prayer? Are right. they a Christian? Right. My first thought is, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, you know, yeah. because I, I'm not worried about that person because I, I, I do believe in universal reconciliation. I believe that um, when that person, if they didn't know Christ on this side of the grave, that when they die, suddenly that veil is removed and they will know him as they are known and they will be transformed in his presence and they will, they will become face to face with absolute perfect love. The, the thing that every one of us in our heart of hearts is, has always longed for. Hmm. And we will finally truly be in the presence of that incredible, amazing love and acceptance and joy and peace. And I honestly just don't think anybody would ever resist that. Why? Why would you ever want to resist that? But even if you, and again, I'm not going to discount free will. If you want to resist that, go right ahead. How long can you hold out? A month? A hundred years? Right. 6,000 years? A hundred million years? See if you can set the record. But at some point <laughs> right. in eternity, yeah. I think you would just kind of say, what am I resisting perfect love for? Why am right. I What have I been doing? Yeah, right. What, what's it? I don't There's no reason to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I get the question. But uh, again, I think it's we should ask a better question, which is, you know, have you really uh, known Christ in this very deep and beautiful way that brings some kind of life and transformation to you? Uh, that, and if you've, if, you, if you've done that, and the more you will pursue that, I think that is really the, uh, the answer to the question.
Yeah, I think for me, like just that was a huge question for me once I started to rethink hell, like on a serious level, because I started to rethink it back when Rob Bell's book came out, Love Wins, and that kind of showed me that, oh, like there are other ways to think about all of these things. And, you know, I started to kind of quietly do my own research and stuff. Then I just got to this point where like, I was like, I have to deal with this. Like, what exactly do I believe? But then I felt like that was the bottom part of my Jenga tower because that was <laughs> what I was raised to believe, you know? So I'm like, if I take this out, like there's a lot of other th- questions that I'm going to have. And the certainty that I've been so comfortable with all of my life, all of a sudden it's going to be gone in a lot of other areas. Like we said before, the issue is not the issue. Like now I have all these other issues I have to, to deal with. And I remember, you know, asking like so many people, I was, I mean, I've, I went on before the, the podcast, before I started the podcast, like I was tweeting Brian McLaren, like, Brian, help me because I know that you have some, <laughs> some, you know, thoughts about this stuff. And he was like trying to answer my questions. And I was just, I was just going after this answer, like to this question. And finally, somebody said to me, like, you know, maybe you just need to like, take a break from, from your Bible and take a break from all the questions and just kind of, kind of sit with, with God and sit with Christ and just sit with Jesus and just kind of see what what he tells you. And so for a long time, like I put my Bible away for like a good six months. And then when I picked it back up again, all I read were the gospels. And I tried to read the gospels without the lens of eternal torment in front of my eyes. And I read everything completely different. And I just felt like all of a sudden, like Jesus made so much more sense to me on such a more like deep, more intimate level than, than ever before. Yeah. Oh, dude, that is so, so right on. I wish more Christians would just do exactly what you just said. Yeah. Um, number one, put down your Bible for a little bit. Right. <laughs> uh, Take a break. Spend some, <laughs> you know, spend some time, you know, be still and know that I am God. So just be still and rest Yeah. and, and start really connecting to God. Recognize that, the, the, that you can abide in Christ and Christ will abide in you, that you have the mind of Christ, that, um, you know, and, and, and you can, Jesus is the good shepherd and you can hear his voice. You really can. Yeah. Uh, and then, then, and only then go back to the gospel, start at the gospel, start with the red letters, read what Jesus himself is saying to you. And I think you're right. Once I think you'll see this lens issue is a big issue. Yeah. The, the lens that we use, unfortunately, all of us, when we enter Christianity are handed a set of you know, glasses as we walk in the door uh, and told, look at everything through these glasses. And so if we can lay those aside and come to the scriptures fresh without those lenses or, or, or maybe just with the lens of Christ, um, then yeah, suddenly we will notice things we have never seen before that have been there all along. And, you know, like just, there's just one example. This happened to me. Actually it happened to my youngest son, Hmm. my son, David, um, He's going to Biola, and he's in this Tory Honors program, which is more conversation-based uh, classes. We have like a cohort of like 15 okay. other students, and you just yeah. read uh, literature or even scripture, and then you just discuss it, right? So they were reading the Gospel of John, and my son uh, called me, and he was like so excited, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> and he's so excited <laughs> about this, but he was so excited. And he was like, Dad, I'm reading the Gospel of John, and all I see is stuff where basically it's like god doesn't judge us god's mm-hmm. you know god doesn't judge he 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 lets the son judge and then jesus later on says i judge no one yeah and and mm-hmm. then you know john 3:16 god god isn't willing that any should perish that's why he sent jesus it's you like oh my gosh and you know and so he's excited cuz all of a sudden he is seeing things in the gospel of john he never even knew were there before yeah and no one's yeah. telling him what to think they're just allowing him to read it and think for himself and, and, and see what it actually says. See, I think these are beautiful things. And I think it's actually good for us to, as much as we can, to try to approach, especially the scriptures, um, without those filters, without those lenses. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's not easy. It really isn't easy. Because sometimes some of, these, some of these things that we, again, have been indoctrinated with are pretty deep. Yeah, um, they're very difficult yep. to, uh, you know, to, to to escape. But I think it can be done. I really do. And it's I hard think work. What you just said yeah. is the way to do it. Yeah, it's hard work and it's scary. So we got to give yeah. got to give ourselves some grace too, mm-hmm. right? Well, Keith, we're just about out of time. I can't believe it's almost been um, an hour. But um, as always, this has been extremely helpful, and uh, I thank you for taking the time to chat with me. 
Oh, Glenn, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation, man. I, I love this. Thank you. And before you go, um, I know you're working on a new book if you want to plug that guy for a minute. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did write a book, um, the next one in the Jesus Un series. It's called Jesus Unexpected. It's looking at dispensationalism, the end times, the rapture, the second coming, and all of that. Um, so a, a lot of it historically, kind of how, how it came up and how mm. we ended up with this kind of end time stuff, but uh, also a very, what I think anyway, is a very unique look and perspective on the second coming and all of that. And uh, that book is coming out soon, hopefully before Jesus returns. Um, <laughs> I honestly, and I'm not joking, I don't know, I don't know when it's coming out. So I, <laughs> I actually turned it into my publisher at the end of April. Here we are in the middle of July as we're, as we're talking now, and I still don't know when it's coming out. I'm hoping it'll be out in the next maybe month or so. So I'm kind of having fun with it, to be honest. It's sort of like, well, it's kind of ironic. The book is called Jesus Unexpected, right. and it's about setting a date for when <laughs> this will return, and I can't even set a date for when the book's going to come out. So I'm just sort of like having fun with that part of it. Like I'm, I just arbitrarily set a date, and I said, you know, um, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus Unexpected will come out on I 8-8. saw that post, right? <laughs> right. Uh, now, it probably won't come out on 8-8, but then I'll just change my date and, and do it again, which is what people do right, when they're trying to predict. With the return, return of Christ, Christ. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm hoping that's going to be out very soon. Um, keep, keep your eyes open. It could be any day. Today could be the day, brother. Today could be the day. Like or a thief tomorrow. in the night, that book is going to come, right? That's right. That book is going to come like a thief in the night when no one expects it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, if it does come out before this uh, goes live, I will put it in the show notes. And uh, even if it comes out later, I will put it, I will edit the show notes and put it in there anyway. <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Well, Keith, it was good talking to you and we'll do it again soon. All right, Glenn. All right, thanks, bud. Bye-bye. Thank you.